Kings chapter 17, 1 Kings chapter 17. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And um, last month we took some time to talk about the cost. We talked about no risk, no reward, right? If you're not willing to risk it, if you're not willing to step out on something, if you're not willing to pay a price, uh, then what God can do in you and through you is very limited. What you give yourself to is a very good indicator of where you're going in life. The prices you have paid in your past are a great indicator of where your future is going to take you, what your destiny has. And, and so, uh, you know, we saw that Jesus, when he called his disciples and, and many other individuals that didn't make it with him, there was always a price to be paid. And he never shied away from that. He never, he, he never tried to, to, to dress it up or sugarcoat it or milk it. He just told people, hey, let the dead bury the dead. You come follow me. Uh, where I'm going, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but I don't have anywhere to lay my head. You coming? You, you along for the ride? He called, he'll call you out in the middle of the water with nothing else to trust in but him. Those disciples got off the shore, got in the boat, and we're just taking a quick little trip to the other side. You know what was interesting about that story, if I can just take a little bit of a sidetrack? We're talking about the story when uh, Jesus was speaking to a multitude of people on the shore. And then... Uh, he had some individuals approach him about discipleship. Hey, we want to come follow you. I'll leave everything to come follow you. So he said, all right, we're getting in the boat. We ain't staying here. This ain't beach ministry. And this ain't cruise line ministry either. We're going in the boat. And so we, the disciples followed him into the boat, right? And then overnight he goes to sleep. Storm's raging. And uh, they're fearing for their lives. And we know that they wake him up, Jesus, Jesus, save us. And so he wakes up, speaks to the storm, and then he looks at them and says, where's your faith at? Oh, you of little faith. They get to the other side, and I didn't finish the story, uh, but they get to the other side, and there's a demon-possessed man there. has a legion of demons in him. And he casts out the demons, sends those demons into a bunch of pigs. The pigs go down the countryside, lose all the pigs, and the people from the town come out, and they're not excited. They are not happy. They are upset, and they say, you need to leave. And so they get back in the boat. Remember we talked about Jesus needs you to get back in the boat. So they got back in the boat and went back to the other where they came from, Capernaum. So think about this. The disciples, the role they play in that story. What do they, what, what do, they do in that story? But get in a boat, almost die, follow him to another, to, to another town, set free one man, tick off everybody else, and then go back home. You're thinking, I could have stayed on the shore for this one. You didn't have to bring me out here for this. I wonder if we would be willing to follow Jesus into places where people might get upset at what he does. Like, not everybody's excited about what Jesus is doing. I'm, I'm excited. Amen. Are you excited? But I'm following Jesus regardless of how people respond. I'm following him regardless of where I'm going. I'm following him regardless of what he's asking me to do. And even if it means I just sit in a boat and almost die, and I see him perform that miracle before my eyes, but I have no other involvement in the situation, I will allow that to pour into my life, be an investment into my life. You've got to be willing to follow Jesus in the good times and the bad. You know, Paul had admonition for, for Timothy, and he said, preach the word in season and out of season. In season and out of season. And what that means is that means when it's popular and when it's unpopular. 
That means preach the word when people want to hear it and preach it when they don't want to hear it. And preach the stuff they want to hear and preach the stuff they don't want to hear. Amen? We've got to be willing to pay the price and pay the cost regardless of where God sends us. And if we have an as long as or if we put a limitation on where God can take you, you're the one that limits what he can. You realize that we are the limiting factor. God wants to do so much in and through our lives. He's already done so much in and through our lives. Robert said this morning, if he didn't do another thing for you, you still got plenty to praise him about. You still got plenty to worship him about. But thank God he's still wanting to move in and through our lives. First Kings chapter 17, verse 1. And Elijah, the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead, said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. So he's declaring, God is declaring through the prophet Elijah a famine of judgment over this nation. And now Elijah is in the nation. Elijah potentially could be affected by the very judgment God is bringing on this nation. But look what happens here. Then the word of the Lord came to him. So he's got a word of the Lord for the nation. And he's in the nation. He's the part, I mean, as he's delivering this word, he's thinking, wait a minute. If they're in famine, I'm in famine. If, if they're missing something, I'm going to be missing something. I'm going to be affected, right? We are in the world. We know what the rest of that sentence says, but we know, first off, that we are in the world. We are in perilous times in our world today. We are in perilous times in our nation today. But look at this. There's a word of the Lord that came to Elijah saying, get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook from the brook. And I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Here's the thing, guys, that regardless of our environment, God knows how to get resources to his people. God knows how God never designed us to be limited to our environment's condition. God has given you a position that's greater than your outward condition. He has given you an inner position, an inward position that is can be contrary at times to what you see going on around you. And what happens so many times is we forget that we are in the world, but not of the world. Now, that of the world doesn't mean that I separate myself and we box ourselves in our little church houses and, 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 and we seclude ourselves from the world. It means that I don't rely on what the world relies on. Are you hearing me? So the question that we're asking then is what kingdom is sustaining you? What kingdom are you relying on? What God are you trusting in? Because even when our environment is limited, we serve a king that is limitless. I am in this world, but I am not of this world. That means I've got something else to pull on. See, God knows how to get sustenance to you. God knows how to sustain you, regardless of what's going on around you. But, you know, what we do is we identify with what we see. 
you will identify where you place your thoughts and you place your mind and you place your mentality. You will identify with what you focus on the most. This is why over in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1, we are instructed, do not set your mind on things below, but on things above. Why? Because until I get my mind there, I can't get my life there. I'll say that again. Until I get my mind there, I cannot get my life there. You will not go where you do not first see in your mind. See, God God is a God of faith. The Bible, in fact, tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, that the only way you can please him is if you live a life of faith. That's the only way. I know we talk a lot about God's love for us, and we don't talk a whole lot about God's pleasure with us. God can love you and still not be pleased with you. I love my son, but there are times that he does not please me. I'll love him no matter what. There's nothing he could ever do in his life. I don't care the worst thing he could do, the worst act. And I will say, I still love you, but I'm not pleased with that behavior. I'm not pleased with those actions. I'm not pleased with that attitude. We need to be focused on living a life pleasing to the Father. I've said it before. There's nothing you can do to make God love you, and there's nothing you can do to make him not love you. All you have to do to achieve the love of God is exist. Is to be created. And he loves you. He loves his creation. But our, our desire is to say, I want to please my father. Well, how do I please him? Living by faith. It is impossible to please God without faith. Well, what is faith? It's living where I'm not yet, where I've not yet been. It's, it's, it's achieving what I do not have. It's seeing what I do not currently see. That's faith. Faith is what has not yet taken place. That's faith. So I can, we, we could be like Elijah and we can look around and say, this is, this is desolate. This is, th- there's nothing here. Everything's drying up. But for a believer, for a man of God, we've got to quit listening to what the world is saying and start listening to what God is saying. Because God knows how to get to you what you need regardless of your external environment. God knows how to get it to you. If it means commanding some birds to bring you a hamburger every morning and bring you a hamburger every evening, go read it. It said bread and meat. You interpret that however you want. I see a Chick-fil-A biscuit. And I see a a hamburger. That's what I see. You can see whatever you want. Breakfast and dinner. Morning and evening. And then drink from the brook. And God is conditioning Elijah. You don't live. And you don't determine what you have based upon your environment. You don't live and you don't determine what you have. You are not limited to. God never limits your sustenance to your situation. God never limits your sustenance to your situation. So what kingdom do we rely on? What kingdom are we living according to? Are we living according? So when, 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 when the world dries up, we dry up. When the job dries up, we dry up. Uh, uh, and, and look, this isn't just talking about money or food or anything like that. Uh, when the world doesn't have anything to be happy about, are we all grumbling and complaining? Guys, we need to check on the AC if y'all would. Um, anybody else hot? 
Okay. I'm up here sweating my head off, but I'm doing a lot more moving than y'all are, so I don't know. Uh, but uh, we've got to determine what kingdom are we relying on. What kingdom dictates what I have? What world am I limited to or what world am I relying on? But look at this word in verse 5. This is the biggest key. This is the biggest key. No matter what goes on around you, this is the key in verse 5. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and did according to the word of the Lord. Ultimately, what is going to determine what sustains you is your obedience to God. Your obedience to God. Your obedience to God. And that might mean doing something that's contrary to what everybody else is doing. That might mean doing something that is uh, uh, contrary, goes against what the rest of the world is doing or says to do. It's amazing. You know, we, we get into problems, but we want to solve those problems on our own. We want to figure out how to get out of the problem. We want to figure out how to get out of the situation. We want to figure, and we want to do all, everything we can naturally. But then there are just some times that God wants to sustain you spiritually, not naturally. Because God wants the glory. If you could do it, then you don't need him. How many times do we say we're in faith about something, but really we are in faith to our ability to produce something? But sometimes God will put us in situations where only he can show up. He will put you in in scenarios where only he can take care of you. Because I, I wonder how many other people had birds flying around them saying, I'm starving, I'm starving, there's nothing around here. And those birds are saying, if you would just believe God... He could command me to come bring you food too. I mean, this isn't limited to Elijah. It's limited to a man that obeys God at his word. I, I heard someone make a profound statement this past week. They said that many times we give attention to God in the high times of our life. And in the very low times of our life, but then the in, in between, we neglect. And the problem with that is, is the majority of our life is in the in between. So we praise him when we get something we've been believing for, and we cry out to him when, 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 when everything's going horrible, and, and we've exhausted all other opportunities. We've exhausted every other opportunity of resource. We've, we've gone to the banks and we've gone to the friends and we've gone to the doctors and we've taken the pills and we've followed the advice of everybody else. And then finally, when none of that works, we say, God, I need you. And what if we could give God attention in the middle? What if we learn to develop a habit of consistently and constantly obeying him and following him and trusting in 
him. I'm, I'm going to tell you why a lot of believers fail when things get low. It's because they don't have a habit of trusting in him. And you are just now trying to develop your ability to hear God and be sensitive to his voice and obey him when you have had no pattern leading up to that. And now when you need him the most, you haven't developed the practice and the habit of being sensitive to his spirit. And we're crying out to him in a reactive state rather than a proactive state. And God becomes a need meter instead of a way maker. He becomes a need meter instead of a way maker. Instead of the one that makes the way before you, now he's the one that I have to go back to. And so we've got a prophet, a man of God, that is hearing from God. Why is he able to respond at such a crazy... See, you've got to be able to respond to God when he tells you to do something crazy. I mean, if we're, we're talking about the cost, like we did last month, the first thing we identified is, is, is if, you, uh, uh, if you love your comfort and your convenience, then you'll have a hard time paying the cost. If we can obey God when it's comfortable and when it's convenient, it doesn't look crazy, it doesn't require me looking silly in front of people. And it doesn't require me, uh, you know, spending that much time in the word and that much time uh, in prayer and, and listening. But see, this is why it's got to be habitual. That's why Paul said pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean walk around super spiritual praying all the time. See, ceasing means how many of you uh, uh, worked a job last week? How many of you left that job? Like you, 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 you're obviously you're not at the job right now. You left. There was a time you punched out, you clocked out, whatever, whatever you do, some, you, you left and now you're here. How many of you are going back tomorrow? Who, who's going back to their jobs tomorrow or sometime? Yeah. So you didn't quit your job just because you left. See, pray without ceasing is pray without quitting. That means that you're. It's something that is continually happening happening in your life. None of your bosses uh, assume that you quit because you walked off the job on Friday. No, you left. You punched out. You clocked out. It's the weekend. Living for the weekend, right? And you know, Monday's coming back, and they expect you back tomorrow. And you don't need to go back to the HR and say, I'd like to reapply for my job, please. Uh, well, what's the problem? Well, I left on Friday, and I, just, I, I, didn't, I need to get my job back. Well, did you quit? Well, no. That's what that means. Pray without quitting. Pray without ceasing. It doesn't mean that I'm literally praying every second of the day, but it means I have a continual habit that I did not quit. I'm going back to it. And this is the lifestyle. This is what God is calling his people to do. This is what God is calling his people to live according to. Because we will not see the blessings of God limited by our external environment. We will not see the promises of God revealed in our life if we live limited by our surroundings. It will not happen. Amen. So ultimately, God is looking for obedience. Now keep on going here. This is interesting. For he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Now watch verse 7. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Well, that's great. 
the very thing God sent me to, to, to provide me sustenance, is now, is now dried up and I can't receive it from anymore. And this is the thing. This is what God is continuing to reinforce with Elijah. God is reinforcing with Elijah, what do you trust in? What do you trust in? Do you trust in the thing that God gave you? Or do you trust in the God that gave it to you? Do you trust in the thing that God gave you? Or do you trust in the God that gave it to you? I've seen it happen in believers' lives, man. They're they're sowing financially, believing for something. And then the, the second they get that thing, they quit giving. And now the very thing that they were sowing to and believing for has taken the place of the God that gave it to them in the first place. What are we trusting in? God will always test your trust because trust must be tested. Trust must be tested, right? It's easy to say, oh, yeah, I trust you until it's tested, until it's challenged, until there's an obstacle or an opportunity to not trust in that thing anymore. And how dangerous it would be for us to begin to place our trust in the very thing that God gave to us and not allow ourselves to trust in the God that gave it to us in the first place. So he's conditioning Elijah. You're not going to be able to look around you and determine what's going to support you and what's going to sustain you. I will sustain you. And if that thing dries up, that means I've got somewhere else for you to go. If there's no water coming out of that, then it's time to move on. It's time to transition to the next thing. And and, and sometimes we're trying to suck out water from something that is dried up, and God's trying to get us on to the next thing, and we're stuck on the one thing that he placed in front of us there. Got our straws out trying to suck up every last inch of it, and he's saying, no, 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 no. You You had to obey me in coming here. Now you need to obey me in leaving here. You had to obey me in in trusting that not the brook would sustain you, but that I would sustain you through the brook, through the birds. Now, why is he trying to condition them this way? Because look at verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Again, he's... He's moving him. He's transitioning him. He's leading him to go somewhere else. He's transitioning to go to a different location. Why? Because God knows how to sustain you. But when you get locked into the location that he places you in, then you will never trust in him. You will develop your trust in the thing. So now he says, arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. Okay, great. So I've got birds and a brook, and they're sustaining me. They're taking care of me, man. This is great. This is awesome. Okay, now that thing's dried up. Now I'm going to go to a woman. Awesome. She could probably bake food better than what the birds can bring. So we, we had the brook, and then we had birds, and, and now we're going to get something baked. I mean, this is great, man. We're, we're moving on up. I bet she's a great cook. I bet that, I bet that she is awesome, and she's going to be able to feed me a great meal. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. So where he was able to rely directly off of the land, now he's having to rely on someone else to bring him that. Please, 
Uh, And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And so Elijah says, I got the wrong house. You got some neighbors over here. Got the wrong person. I, I, I don't know what happened. This situation is looking pretty bleak. God just sent you to someone that's ready to eat their last meal and die. So we've got some options. Either I'm going to eat your meal and you die now instead of die later. Or we're both done. What are we going to do? What, what is this situation? Could you imagine where God has put you in a situation where you're trusting and you're relying and you're believing in him. And now, now, now we have to go and follow him to something that, again, externally doesn't look like an answer. To externally something that cannot meet our need. Why? Because God didn't want him to trust in the widow woman at Zarephath. God wanted him to trust in And while trusting in him, he got to be a blessing to her. As the story reads, he says, well, go ahead and make me that cake. And by the word of the Lord, you will not run out of flour the entirety of this famine. And you will not run out of oil uh, the entirety of this famine. It will overflow and you will end up being a blessing to other people. And so we see that God knows how to sustain you. Regardless of your external situation. And notice that Elijah didn't go to the widow woman and say, uh, let me tell you about some birds. You're struggling? You don't got any food? But isn't that what we do? We only go as far as the last miracle that God did for us. And we only trust him as far as what he did last time. And what we do is we put trust in the method. Our faith is really only in how he did it. How many times do we do this? We hear someone's testimony of how God healed them, and so now we expect that same exact, rather than, rather than taking in and saying, man, well, if God healed you, God can heal me too. But now we try to replicate. And now, you know what formulas do? Formulas limit your faith. Because if there was a formula to it, we would all have it. If it was an A plus B equals C deal, then we would go get A, and we would go get B, and then we would see C. But God isn't a formula God. God is not a method God. He says, I sustained you with brook, with, with the brook and with birds over here, but now I'm going to sustain you in an in, in even bleaker situation. There's something that, does, that looks like it cannot so they can't even sustain themselves. This is why obedience to God, obedience to God, trumps anything the world could offer you. Obedience to God will always win. Obedience to God will always be priority. Now, notice here that this woman's got a decision now. This woman has a decision. 
See, there, we will never have an excuse to not be generous. We will never have an excuse to not obey God. There, there are so many times when God is asking us to do something. You would be surprised at the moments God will ask you to give something, do something for someone else. He'll ask you to, to, to give someone $20 when you need the $20. He'll ask you to go pray for someone when, some, when you need someone to come pray for you. He'll ask you to go sit down with someone and listen to their story while in the back of your mind you're thinking, I need someone to listen to my story. I'm about to, I'm about to lose it over here. But sometimes, sometimes God will have you do for someone else the very thing you need for yourself. And we miss those moments because all we see is what I need. See, we have this idea that only prosperous people can be generous. No, generous people will be prosperous. We get it the other way around. Well, when I have it, I'll give it. No, he says, if you'll give it, you'll have it. If he knows that he can get it through you, he will get it to you. Amen. This is what he's trying to show Elijah. You, you find instances like this all throughout the word of God that are absolutely contrary. But we all, it, it all started with a prophet obeying God saying, go to a place that regardless of the external situation, I am planning on sustaining you. I will take care of you. I will be uh, your, your provider. I will supply all that you need. I will be your sustenance if you trust in me. Amen. And so now we see that uh, God is now directing this woman to be a part of the process. See, sometimes, you know, we, we, we live in a world where we want maximum results with, with minimal effort. We live in a world today that wants things at the snap of their finger. We, want, we, we, we live in a world where we don't want to see miracles. We really just want to see magic. We want to see a magic trick. We don't want to see God do a miracle. We just want to see poof, and there it is. And, and, and there's no part to play on my end. I'm telling you right now, if you want to see a miracle done in your life, you've got to be a part of the process. You've got to be a part of the process. God wants you to be a part of the process. He wanted this woman to be a part. He could have easily just, I mean, think of all the miraculous ways that God could have been a blessing. But it took her stepping out in faith. Because, see, in the kingdom of God, giving is not an obligation. Giving is an opportunity. Giving is not an obligation. You're not obligated to give. And when we give out of obligation, and we, when we give, uh, at, well, I just got supposed to give my tithe. There's that pastor talking about money again. There's that pastor. When we give joy, when we give ourselves to some, when we give of our time, we don't give out of obligation. We give out of recognizing this is an opportunity to get involved in the process. Say, I want to be a part of the process. I got some of you. Let's try that again. Say, I want to be a part of the process. I want to be a part of the process that God has for my life. Because here's the thing. While Elijah's thinking, how am I going to eat? God is saying, I'm not just trying to get it to you. And I'm not just trying to get it to the widow woman. I'm trying to get it to all her neighbors and all her friends. I'm going to sustain a whole bunch of people in the midst of this miracle. I'm going to show myself strong in the midst of this opportunity. 
But it takes people willing to be obedient to God. The widow had a plan to die, but God had a plan to sustain her. I wonder what plan God has for us. I wonder what plan God has for you and I. I wonder what plan he wants us to be a part of. I wonder what plan God is challenging you. What's he been speaking to you? What will he show you? Will you step out? Will you obey? Will you listen to what the Holy Spirit's leading you to do? Or will we stay within the confines of our comfortability? Worship team, if you come up. Are we going to stay within the, the limitations of our convenience? I don't know about you. I want to see God do a miracle. I want to see God do something great. But I don't want to be the limiter. I don't want to be the cap of what God wants to do. You see, we, we, we've got to think bigger than how am I going to make it. Some of the greatest men and women that have ever lived on this planet, some of the greatest men and women that have ever done great things for the kingdom of God in this earth today are people that thought bigger than themselves. People that made real achievements with their life. People that left something behind. That they didn't just live their life, they left their life. We talk about them today. But it's because they lived bigger than themselves. It's because they got outside of how do I live? How do I, develop, how, how do I sustain myself? How do I just take care of me and my, my husband and my wife and, and, and my kids and, and my home? But no, they walk into their jobs and they walk into their communities and they walk into their families and they walk into their, their scenarios and their situations and they say, how can I make an impact on all these people around me? How can I make an impact on the people that God has placed within my influence? You have a circle of influence. You have a circle of influence. Everyone has a circle of influence. Everyone has an opportunity to influence someone for something. It might be your customers. It might be your vendors. It might be your family. It might be your community. It might be your job. It might be your employer and employees. I wonder who God is trying to get us to impact. But we're sitting at the brook saying, what about me? We're sitting at the brook saying, what about me? And we're trusting in a source that God never meant for us to trust. See, when, I, when, we, when, when Jesus makes the statement, you are not of this world, that's a very literal, real statement. And what he's saying is, you cannot identify any longer with your surroundings. You must identify with who's on the inside of you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And if God is for you, then who can be against you? And I dare you this week. I dare you to look beyond yourself. I dare you to look beyond your comfort. I dare you to look beyond your paycheck. I dare you to look beyond. Go into this week and say, this isn't about what I can get out of it today. This is about what God wants me to put into it. What has God put me into that I can infect and affect for the kingdom of God? Now we can say that. We can talk that. 
But now it's our actions that flow out of us that say, I'm not here for my own good. I'm not here for my own benefit. I'm not here. I want to receive my healing so I can help someone receive their healing. I want to receive a financial breakthrough in my life because I want to help others see a financial breakthrough in theirs. I want to be able to, to prosper so that I can help meet the needs of other people. I'm telling you right now, if you will choose to be generous with your life, God will make you prosperous in your life. You've got to desire generosity over prosperity. But here's the thing. God can make you prosperous today. And if he asks you to trust in him tomorrow, would you be able to? Many times we say, God, I trust you. And he's saying, but do I trust you? Can I trust you? Can I trust you? Can I put it in your hands and know that if I need to take it and put it somewhere else, you'll do that? Can I do that? I mean, I, I, I know people in the world, musicians and singers, that have received miracles from God only to turn around and go right back into the world and use it, use what the miracle that God blessed them with back into the world again. It should not be. It should not be. If we're going to trust in God, that means that we're going to trust Him when we have it and when we don't. And we're going to trust Him regardless of what we have. I want to be a people that trust God regardless of what I have. Father, I thank you.